after. How's everyone doing? Doing well? Excellent. Excellent. You know, interaction is, uh, is pretty much okay on a certain level uh, as I'm preaching, but on some levels it's not. It can, it can throw me off. Uh, so, but if I ask a question like that, if, if I hear a, a verbal, audible answer, I'm not going to get too thrown off. Um, I'm excited and happy to be uh, preaching today, and uh, we're glad that you're here. And again, welcome again if you're now uh, just jumping in on the, on the screen. We are in, uh, on our virtual live broadcast. We are thankful that you're here. And I'm going to take my glasses off, and now I can't see you, but I can read. So, any of you ever, ever think about the word uh, attitude? And I don't know if you're the type who like just will take one word and like oh, I'm going to just focus on one word today. Uh, but what comes in, what comes to mind when we use the word attitude? You know, Webster's defines attitude this way. It's got uh, four different ways. It says the first is this attitude: the way you think and feel about something. Two, a feeling or a way of thinking that affects a person's behavior. Three a way of thinking and behaving that people regard as unfriendly, rude, or threatening, and four, a position of the body or manner of carrying oneself. Attitude. How many have used the word attitude this week if you think about it? I know sometimes maybe as a parent it's easier to to use the word attitude. Maybe if you're in a position of of, uh, authority in a job, you maybe question the attitude of your employees or, or those under you or with your children. Watch your attitude. If you're a parent, has that ever left your lips? Can you keep an eye on your attitude? Or, hey, you're full of attitude today. Or what's with the attitude? Uh, when I had a friend who would use, he would just say, and I've used this with my kids, I said, but you are 100% undiluted attitude. And they would kind of look at me and I'm like, what's that mean? It means shape up. Or if you coach the sports team, or if you've been a teacher, when we talk about attitude, I think we all recognize the importance of a proper or a good attitude. You ever been in a team or in an organization or in a situation where attitude was poor? How'd that work out? It really doesn't go too well. We want to have a good attitude. We want people to have around us to have a proper attitude. You ever have a boss with a bad attitude? It could make your life miserable. See, because a bad attitude is toxic. You can step into a situation, you can step into a room where everything is going fine, and somebody's bad day or their lousy attitude can kill an atmosphere. Or maybe you've been that person. I know I have. I am sure that I have come home from a commute at work, and what was a happy home became the dark cloud of Ron as he tried or didn't try to bring a good attitude into the home. Believe it or not, I am that type of person from time to time. Maybe you are too. Attitude can be verbal. Attitude can be silent. Yet, we can see it, can't we? It's usually very clearly identified. We can see it in people's breathing. We can see it in their posture. Or really puffed up. Our eyes, they can be sunken and sullen, or they can be bright and cheerful. 
Our hands and our arms communicate attitude. Good and bad actions are tied to our attitude. You see, a good attitude acts in opposition to a bad attitude, doesn't it? And we've all experienced times when somebody has a proper attitude, and that proper attitude, their joy, their, their, their attitude is contagious. I want to ask us a question today, and I want us to think about it for ourselves only, because I think sometimes when we ask questions about attitude, I know in my own heart it's easy for me to start in my own head, picking out people in my life who I think have bad attitude, and then I tend not to focus on myself. And what I hope today is that we would look within and allow the Holy Spirit to work within our own lives and work within us this morning and allow the Word of God to penetrate and evaluate our hearts in regards to our attitude. And I would ask you this. This is the simple question of the day. What is your attitude? What is your attitude in life? And by the grace of God, our attitude, what should it be? What is the proper attitude of a Christian? How do we carry ourselves? How do we live? And if, uh, grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 20. It's our first text today. We're going to be in two. In Matthew chapter 20. Starting at verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus, came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand, and one at your left in your kingdom. Quite a bold request, isn't it? Think about it. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it is had it had been, has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man, even as myself, even as Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What a text. Look at these brothers, James and John. Could I, you, actually, I'd like to maybe if you raise your hand on this one. You don't have to. But how many of you at some point in your life had a nickname? All right, I don't have my glasses on, but I'm seeing pretty good. Did you pick it yourself? Do you ever get the... Ch- Sorry, my mind goes in. <laughs> my mind like jumps. There was a TV episode where 
a certain character wanted to be nicknamed T-Bone, and he was trying to get everybody to nickname him T-Bone, and it didn't work. And sorry, that's just kind of how my mind works. And so you get, you get a little pick, you get to see it. But you don't get to really pick your, your nickname, do you? Many of us don't want the nickname we got. Myself, I've been called everything. I've been called Ronald Reagan. I've been called Ronald McDonald. I've been called Ronaldo. First, firsty, fishhook. I'm not going to read the one because I really hate this one and I don't even want you to know. It's written down here, and I'm changing my mind on the fly. On my baseball teams, we gave nicknames. I kind of was really a big part of that. I liked giving nicknames, and I kind of liked giving ones that weren't necessarily cruel, but that like, got to a point. Uh, we would give the slowest guy on the team, his name was Wheels. We had the hacker who couldn't swing the bat properly. Then the best guy on the team was the freak, which I think Tim Lipscomb ultimately took. We had Roy, which his name was not Roy. We had Skinny, who wasn't Skinny. And then in basketball, the hoopster, things like that. See, nicknames, they, they're something that in our culture we tend to have. And here, we just read about two, two brothers, and they had nicknames. Did you know that? Anyone know what it was? Youth pastor moment. I'm giving a little quiz. Anyone? The Sons of Thunder. The Sons of Thunder. You know, there's part of me kind of thinks that's kind of cool. <laughs> but Mark, it's only mentioned in Mark, in Mark chapter 3. And it just says, uh, says this, verse 17. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerigus, that is, Sons of Thunder. Now, we see a little bit of boldness here. Now, I, I think the other text shows that they, they got mom to ask the question. They wanted the spots on the left and the right of Jesus in the kingdom. And, skip, and scriptures give us a picture of these bold young men. And boldness is an asset, but it also is a liability. Now, turn to Luke 9. I want you to look at these guys. Luke chapter 9, and at verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he, Jesus, set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent his messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, the sons of thunder, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. What? What did we just read? I mean, I know that like, we have the privilege and the blessing to look back and to kind of go, what were they thinking? Right? Have you ever like, read Peter and just go, Peter, what were you thinking? Close your mouth. Right? Or other times in the Old Testament, we go, Israel... Just obey and stop complaining about the manna. Like we have all this, you know, did you really say you want to go back and it was better in Egypt? We have the blessing and the privilege to see that. And of course, we never put ourselves into the crowd and kind of go, I think I might have a propensity to be that person. 
but let's call fire down from heaven. And Jesus rebuked them. The answer, no. No. And what we see here is a picture of James and John asking this question and then back in our text, and Mark 10 does attribute it to James and John alone. But Jesus gives this answer and addresses this to James and John when they say, where can we sit? Can we sit next to you in the places of honor and glory in your kingdom? One on the left, one on the right. And this undoubtedly got the disciples thinking. You see, I think they says that the other disciples were indignant at this question. You want to know why? They wanted the seat. I think they wanted the seat. They said, wow. They asked, like, oh man, the sons of thunder. They got to it first. I think there's a possibility they were kind of quietly going, I hope I get that place. We want to be your right-hand man. I'm the most important. Give me the honor. Give me the glory. And, and it says that they were indignant at the request because they wanted the position too. You see, oftentimes in our hearts, we want a place of prominence. We want a place of power. We want to be up front. We want to be the one who has the authority. But you know, we need to have proper perspective. So Bruce Bochy retired as the Giants manager. And now we have a new manager for a season that's not really happening right now. But there still is a new manager for the San Francisco Giants. I don't mean any dis disrespect to the new manager or whatever, but how silly would it have been if like, I was indignant that I'm not the new manager of the San Francisco Giants? Right? I mean, I know that's an extreme example, but you know, it's like, I know my place. I'm a fan. I am not in the position to be the manager of the Giants. Or when Apple, going back a few years, when Steve Jobs passed away at Apple Computer, which is now, I think, Apple Incorporated or something like that, but when he passed away, the big question discussed at the time was like, who's going to be the new chief at Apple? And when the position was filled, do you think any of us were indignant that we didn't get the job? No, because we know. We know that when it comes to Apple, when it comes into these kind of positions, I am strictly an iPhone user and an iPad user. I'm not in the place to be that. But see, we look at these big things and we don't get indignant when we get passed over for a cabinet position in the White House or a cabinet position in the, in the government. We just know that's not our place. But as we bring it in closer to home, quickly we get indignant over, over our recognition or lack of it. And it's quick. We're quick, to, we're quick to want to be appreciated. We're quick to reject unappreciation. And we want to be noticed. I don't have my glasses on, but connecting or is it just wrong? Can I say, yeah, or do we struggle with this? All right, thank you. I saw a couple. Look, we like recognition. And I, again, I'm leaving myself a little bit vulnerable here. But let me just give you a little hint about my life and how I am. I like to be liked. I like going into Starbucks and letting the barista know that I tip. If there's a tip jar there, 
I really don't like doing that. I kind of want to make sure they see me put the tip in the jar. Now, I have selfish reasons for that. You get taken better care of as you become a regular, right? You guys are just going to like kick me out of the church. (laughs) But I like to be noticed. Like I do a lot of online and like I can tip on the phone. I hate that. I don't get the recognition. And I'm serious. Emily's laughing. I just saw her laugh because she knows my personality. This is my personality. I want recognition in my circle. I want to be the nice guy that they're happy to see me when I come into their store. We want to be noticed. And we may not want leadership. We may not want a role of prominence. But in our flesh, our life, and even our church life, it becomes about me. Our likes and dislikes become what's most important. And have you ever looked at your life and had this thought? And maybe we start to wallow in something like this, and we say, I'm starting to feel very unappreciated right now. And I actually have to say this in terms of regards to church life. If you feel unappreciated in your, in your service, I, I want to say this with my full heart, and I know it echoes the leadership here at this church, and I know it echoes the heart attitude of, of many, 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 the majority of us, and probably all of us. If you serve here and you feel unappreciated, please forgive me that that's how you feel. You are appreciated. And there are things that we will never, ever see. So much is done behind the scenes in a church. And that oftentimes we just don't even know the efforts that you're putting forth. So thank you for what you do. And realize this, you serve Jesus when you serve his church. If no one else is seen, God is glorified though and he sees. He sees it and he blesses us. But like James and John, sometimes we seek positions of prominence and desire to be recognized and honored. And then that attitude can really wreck a proper attitude, this proper attitude that we should have. You see, when we have a bad attitude and we feed it and then we wallow in it, it doesn't take long for our focus to fully, almost 100% be on ourselves and on our preferences. Also, when we seek greatness or we seek our own way or our own desires, Ultimately, we're living a very unchristlike attitude or a very unchristlike life. Back in Matthew, I just want to hit that text. In verse 25, Jesus answers their indignity of the disciples. He says that you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what is our attitude to be? A servant. A servant. A slave. To be second. To be third. 
to be fourth, to be number 100, to be last. I'm convinced if we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is difficult, it's difficult for me, but if we could really be transformed into the image of Christ in this area that I am here to serve and nothing is about me, I believe we'd be a mighty church because we have a mighty God who gave us the greatest picture of servanthood. And that's Jesus Christ. Philippians 2. Let's turn there. It's our second text. And I know this is a reminder. I just think it's so important. And oftentimes, I'm really preaching to myself. It's so easy to get discontent. Not liking the circumstances that we're in at the moment. and I just wonder... You know, I was, I was tearing up as we didn't sing. Man, I miss that. I miss my guitar this morning. You may not. <laughs> but maybe in all this as we, that were these times that we're living in, and I'm off script at the moment. This is, I'm preaching to myself. Maybe we're missing something. Maybe I'm missing something I'm supposed to be learning. It's easy to get caught up in the politics of it and what rights have been taken away, and then I'm sure they have and what happened. But again, in a room like this, I think, I don't know, I'm not counting, it's less than 100, but say we had 100, we'd have 100 different opinions, huh? So how do we interact with each other as servants, as humble? As humble. Without judging, this is difficult times we're living in. It's difficult decisions for church. We've, John, Michael, myself, and we've had other men. We've called in Darren with, with worship and what should we do. These are not easy. But I tell you what is easy is that we just want to be a humble people with a great God and continue to proclaim him. I guess I would challenge you, and I don't know your hearts, but I think sometimes if, if all we learn out of all this is just how to do government better or how to interact with authorities in different ways, if that's all we learn, we might be missing something. Maybe God wants to do mighty things in a church that isn't functioning like we were used to functioning. Let's be in prayer as a people of God. How can we humbly advance his kingdom in this time. And I would think that might just be by emptying ourselves, becoming second, becoming third, becoming last. Be a servant. What is the proper attitude? Be a servant. Be like Christ. Philippians 2, 1 through 8. So if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord 
and of one mind. Do nothing from selfishness or selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind or have this attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, and focus on this people, never lose sight of how deep and how awesome this is. Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to or a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Look at our Savior. The remedy for bad attitude is this. And this is, a, this is a remedy for all our troubles, really. Your job, your home, your marriage, your school, your family, your neighborhood. This remedy works. And it's this, by the grace of God empowering our lives through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, our life, in our jobs, it's this, it's about serving. It's about being a servant. Jesus is our king, so obey the king and follow his example. Serve our king by being Christ-like, and Jesus was a servant. Do you lack joy today? Do you have discontentment in an area of your life? Empty yourself and serve others. Serve Jesus by serving and sacrificing your life for his people. You see, we need to be servants. We serve Christ by serving one another. Serving kills our fleshly pride, doesn't it? We become less. Jesus becomes more. Christ is our example. Don't ever lose sight of this. And this passage that Paul puts the, puts the paper in the letter to the church in Philippi, it's amazing. It's remarkable. Have this attitude that Christ had. And look at verse 6. And I know I read it with some emphasis, but though who, though he was in the form of God, did not count a quality with God, a thing to be grasped. Jesus Christ existed for all eternity as fully God. He is the one who is, who, who was, who is, and is to come. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Christ is eternal, fully God. And here's what happens. For us, for Ron, he emptied himself. 
He willingly and graciously and humbly. And he did not regard this equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. You know, this idea of a thing to be grasped. Uh, any of you, like when you're playing with your brothers or sisters or with a friend through life, were, were ever playing a game like where you, you, just, you, couldn't, you didn't want to be dragged out of like your zone and dragged into another zone, kind of, a, I don't, you know, I can't think of the game off the top of my head, but my brother and I, we always made up games. Or there was other times, you know, I knew that like if he got me, it would not be pleasant for me. And uh, so it was like I'd run from him and he would grab me and then he'd start dragging me and you'd hold on to anything so tight or you try to wrap your arms around a tree. He's like, I don't want to move. I'm not going anywhere. I don't want to leave this position of safety. Picture heaven. Picture, we see these things, we see these glimpses in the Old Testament and in the New Testament of where God lives and God dwells. And this is where Jesus is. Would you even for a moment want to leave? How many of you have ever had to go on vacation where you didn't want to go on vacation or you had to go visit a friend? Now, I know it's been hot lately, but like Hollister has nice climate. But sometimes people say, hey, let's go to the desert in the middle of summer. I don't want to go. And you can believe that my attitude in the car will not be smiley happy. It'll be, why are we going to the heat? Because I don't like heat. I like calm and comfort. And here's heaven where Jesus is worshiped. He's fully God. He's with the Father. And he emptied himself willingly. And he became a servant. He became man. To what, to what end, too? He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of a criminal. We don't really enjoy criminals, do we? When we see lawlessness running out, do we like it? No. And they say, this is what they deserve. Prison. This is where they belong. Jesus Christ, without sin, fully God, died the death of a complete humiliation on the cross. And he was mocked and he was scorned. And he died on the cross next to two criminals. And you know what else was horrific of that death? Probably if you really stop and you grasp and you focus in on the cross, when Jesus says, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he took on our sin. And this eternal fellowship for all eternity the ball got rolling in Bethlehem. And then the horror of horrors of the cross were, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the separation from the Father. And why? Because of my sin. Because of your sin. Remarkable humility. 
think that's the time that I think if we were sitting there, maybe we'd say, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven? Because the greatest injustice of all time happened. But the greatest grace of all time also happened. And his separation for a moment bridged the gap that we are no longer separated from God because Jesus Christ is our mediator. He bridged the gap. He paved the way. He tore the curtain. And now, not only do we have heaven awaiting us, but even right now, as those who believe, God lives in us because of the humility of Christ. God's grace enables our our lives. It empowers us to do what he asks us to do. And here's what he is asking. He's asking us to serve, to serve him by serving others. This will transform our lives. This will transform our community. It transforms a church. When we become gracious, humble servants who serve Jesus Christ first by serving one another. So we as a church, we as a people, we as husbands, as wives, as children, as employees, as employers, as we live our lives by the grace of God and not by trying harder, not by grinning and bearing it, but by humbling ourselves, let us be a people who serve Christ when we follow his example, when we walk in his steps and we lay aside our preferences and our desires and let's be servants. I know that's broad, but I now leave it to you and the Holy Spirit within you to go before God this week as you spend time in his word, as you're in the car, as you pray, as you meditate, as you sing. How can we be Christ-like servants as we live our lives? God is calling us to do this and it will transform our attitudes. Church sometimes is hard. I think I've shared that with you guys and I'm closing up. Sometimes I have hard time with church. Again, you're going to throw me out. But I'm just honest. It's hard sometimes. Being with people is difficult. But you know what ultimately the problem is? The ultimate problem is me. It really is. I am the ultimate problem if I have a bad attitude about something. Because God in his sovereign love and his sovereign care has placed us where we're supposed to be. So let's be servants. Will you join in that journey with me? God is good, amen? I'm, I'm amazed at the humility of Christ who is our king. What a humble king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word for what it says, for what you've shown us, how you've given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. And Lord, it is so clear what you've asked and called us to do. And it's to serve. It's to be Christ-like. So Father, I would pray that you would do a work in my life, first and foremost. Father, to, to grant us true humility 
Lord, give us all hearts to, to serve one another and to serve our neighbors, to serve our families. Father, give us your eyes to see what true needs are. Father, transform and, and change our minds in areas where, where we're wrong. Father, may we be people of your word who go to it, look at it, and humbly obey it. Father, we need you so much to do a work in our lives. And so, Father, as your people, may we commit to keeping and setting our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. For, Lord, I know when our eyes are set on him, we will be humble. You will do the work because you are good and you love conforming us into the image of Jesus. So we thank you for that. Be with us this week as we go now. In Jesus' great name we pray, amen.